The song we just sang mentions, speaking about Jesus, who died, went to a grave, and then it says, up from the grave he arose with the mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor. Triumph. Victory. This is, this is the theme of God. It's, it's who God is. He's the victor. He's the mighty one. He is the one that provides a way of escape from the dark domain. And that is really, in essence, what I want to get at with this lesson today. As we consider the Israelites, referred to throughout this, um, throughout this lesson, throughout the reading that I'm going to be covering here, they're always called the sons of Israel. There's always a picture of relationship that's there. As sons, as so, when we're sons, that means we have a relationship with a father. Um, it alludes to the, the father being Israel or Jacob, but really the, the, the connection with Jacob puts you in connection, or for them, puts them in connection with the great God of the universe, the creator. So they're in a connection with the great God, the great creator. They belong to God. The Israelites belong to God until they get down into Egypt and someone else takes them over. Someone else lays claim to them. Someone else makes them slaves. And so God being the one who is the victor, he's not going to be outdone, is he? And is pop that in the mouth. See if we can keep the voice going a little bit longer here. Not too long. I don't want to scare you. As we uh, come to Exodus, let's get into this this lesson. And we're going to see God being the victor, reclaiming his people. And we're going to see then as we we look at this. And what I was going to say a second ago is the way this is written, it do, he doesn't get just straight to the point. It gets straight to the point, goes to something else, um, kind of comes back to it. It's like, if you read through this, it's like strangely written from my point of view, from God's point of view, from the Israelites' point of view. I'm sure it makes all sense in the world why it's written the way it's written. But if you read straight through it, here I want to put it kind of in perspective, the the summary for us today. Because this is a great picture of deliverance, of God coming through for his people, reclaiming his people, delivering his people, redeeming his people, bringing them back to him, and going to great lengths, but with great power to do this. Great display of love that that he has for his people to do what he did for them. So let's go to, uh, to Exodus in chapter 1, just verses 13 through 14. And we're going to establish some things here, and I hope as we, you look at what, how I've outlined it, how I've summarized the, the story of the deliverance of the Israelites, the sons of Israel, I should say, from the Egyptians, from Pharaoh. Uh, I hope it, you see a clear and wonderful story of 
deliverance that God provides. He is the victor. He is the, the one who brings us from the dark domain. But first, the sons of Israel have to become slaves. Exodus 1, 13 and 14, it says, The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor, the labor in, wit, in the field, all the laborers, all, and all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Now I want to get this thing out of my mouth if it's going to interrupt all my reading. Um, you're probably going to end up seeing me slobber out of my mouth with this lifesaver, I think. I should have gone for a cough drop today. <laughs> but this will work. Just don't watch me. You can look down today instead of looking at me. <laughs> they become slaves. Exodus 2.23. We're going to see that they're going to cry out for help. Only makes sense. You're slaves. You're going to cry out to God for help. Now, it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. It has to go. <laughs> it was a good try, but it didn't work. <laughs> They cried out for help. They were sighing. They're crying out for help. And, be, and the cry for help rose up to God. We need God. He, he's able to hear, isn't he? So they become slaves and they cry out for help. And uh, let's go down to 3 verse 7. The Lord said, now he's talking to Moses, and we were here a couple of weeks ago. Discuss some of this. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So God says, I have seen their affliction, and I have heard their cry, their cry for help. God sees, and God hears. He's aware of the situation. He knows what his people are going through. And then God, of course, promises to deliver them from the oppressor, from Pharaoh, and to bring them to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 8, So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and great, spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. I'm going to bring them out of their, this land of suffering. It's kind of interesting that that land had saved them at one point. Joseph had gone down and Joseph was their savior. Now they need saved from that place. They need deliverance. They need brought out of that land to go to the place where they truly belong. It was just for a time. They aren't supposed to stay there forever. So God promises, I will deliver them. I will save them. And this idea, whenever you see the word deliver, you can think save, you can think rescue. It's just the beautiful God. We, we can't, when there's something we can't do ourselves, we need God to come in and do it for us. And that's what he's going to do. 
He will save us. He'll rescue us. He'll deliver us. He'll be the one there to do what we cannot do ourselves. And God promised to show his might over Pharaoh. He's not just going to kind of bring them out of the land. He's going to do so in a mighty way. Look at Exodus now in chapter 6. And let's go to uh, verses, we'll read here verses 1 and then go a little farther down to verse number 6, which has already been read for us today, this entire passage. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of this land. The literal rendering there would be, For with a strong hand he will let them go. Or by a strong hand he will drive them out. And this is God saying, you know, Pharaoh would lift up his hand and declare things and, and do things. But God said, I'm going to lift up my hand against him. Who do you think is going to have the mightier hand? God or Pharaoh? God's going to, under, he, he's going to force Pharaoh to do what he wants him to do. In his own good time, in his own good way, according to the plan that he has. He is going to be a mighty deliverer. In verse number 6, it says, and, and this is God again saying to Moses, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out of from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with, a, with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And now in this, this particular passage, this is, according to what I could see, this is only the second time in the Bible that you'd see the word redeem. And the word redeem has to do with, uh, with a, a, re, a relationship when you would, like for a kinsman, you've heard the, perhaps the, the idea of a kinsman redeemer. You help your family, that's what you do. You help your family, and it was embedded with, uh, with all peoples of this time to always help their family. Families were everything. That's where their strength came from. And God is, is saying, I'm going to redeem you. This is what I must do for you because you are family. I'm going to redeem you. Whatever you have suffered, whatever wrong there has been, I'm going to set it right, and I'm going to bring you back to me. I'm not going to let you be disgraced. I'm not going to let you be oppressed. I am going to redeem you. Whatever price needs to be paid to save you from your predicament, I'm going to pay that price. So God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I'm going to save you. And with great judgments, I'm going to make them pay. Whatever needs to happen, God's going to do it. So God promised to show his might over Pharaoh. And he is promising to do it just with power. Then you'll know that I am God. He is the Lord God Almighty. And then we're going to continue reading in this passage in verse number 7. And uh, that my next point is taken almost... Almost the entirety of that passage, or is it the entire thing? You can look and see. Then I will take you for my people, 
and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. My people. My people. I will take you for my people. This is going to fit in a little bit more later. He's saying, you belong to me. I am going to take you back. You will be my people. I will be your God. Reminds you of, uh, does that remind you of Jacob when he was going into the faraway land? Remember when he was, uh, ran away from Esau, he slept with his head on the ground on that rock and he had that dream. The angels going up and got down. This is the, the house of God, and he, he tells God, he says, if you'll be with me, if you'll be with me, then you'll be my God. Because God told him, don't be afraid when you go over there to the, to the land of your, your fathers. I'll be with you. And, God, and Jacob says, all right, you're making a promise to be with me, then, I'll, then you'll be my God. And God is telling him here that this, that's still in, that's, that promise is still in place. I'll be your God. You be my people. Relationship. That's why he's going to redeem them. He's going to do whatever he needs to to get them back, to buy them back. Continuing on then, as this is really where uh, things start to take place. When you get into chapter 7, this is where the plagues start to come. There's ten plagues, right? Ten plagues. He starts out with nine, then the last one is the final blow. So, and in all these ten plagues, and scripture even alludes to it itself, but people who know the Egyptians better than I do make the point that, that every one of these, these plagues that came from God was to bring, to show that God was more powerful than the gods that Egypt had. God Almighty was the God over all their gods. He was the one true God, and their gods were nothing. So God conquered Egypt's gods. So as he had promised to deliver them, then he does it by conquering their, their, their gods with the plagues. And then he brings the plan to completion with this last plague. And here, because remember the last plague is the death of the firstborn. And this is where we're actually going to go next week. We're going to talk about the plague of the firstborn, the death of the firstborn. We're going to talk about the Passover, the Passover lamb and the feast a little bit. And we're going to relate that to Jesus. We're going to talk about it a little more in depth. But that's the last plague, the, the, uh, the destroyer, the death angel that some people refer to. It comes through the land and kills every firstborn animal, man, it doesn't matter. The firstborn, he's going to kill them. The last plague. And so with that last plague, that is the final piece to the puzzle that God had said he was going to bring about. And so we actually go backwards here. Because you can read about that last plague in, in chapter 10, in, uh, excuse me, chapter 11 and into 12. Um, and, but if you go all the way back to chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. This is where the Lord is speaking to Moses up front, and he tells him that this is how it's going to end. Um, 
I'll start in verse 21. Exodus 4, 21. The Lord said to Moses, so this is, this is before, by the way, this is, um, this is before Moses even meets up with Aaron. So this is right when God's initially telling him what's going to happen. Verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. Listen. Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now I paraphrase this a little bit. God tells Pharaoh. That's what he's going to do. And I think this Moses ends up doing this before uh, that last plague comes. But God is telling Pharaoh, you have taken my firstborn son from me. To serve you. You have taken my son from me to serve you. You've made them slaves. You own them now. But let them go that they may serve me. If you don't, I will take your firstborn son. And that's where it ends up. That is the last plague to come. And God is going to destroy the son of Pharaoh and the son of every firstborn in all of Egypt. So this was the plan from the start. That's why God um, eventually, I don't think God hardened Pharaoh's heart the whole time, the entire time. I think Pharaoh hardened his heart several times on his own. And then eventually God says, all right, now you've hardened your heart. Now I'm just going to keep my plan on going. So I'm going to, I'm going to harden your heart. Make sure it doesn't soften up because you're already a lost man. You're already played into my, my plan. So God hardens his heart. Make sure he gets to that tenth plague. And the tenth plague is God saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back my son. And since you took my firstborn son from me, I'm gonna take your firstborn son from you. It's justice deserved. That's what happens with, uh, with God. We deserve death when we sin. A little bit too general there for the story, but that's the essence of it. All right. Now. The Lord, the Lord brings about his plan that was to take place from the start. The last plague brings forth uh, this great deliverance. So the next point on the outline as we get to towards Genesis, Exodus chapter 12 is that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land, which compelled Pharaoh and the Egyptians to send out the sons of Israel. So in Exodus chapter 12, Verses 29, I want to read 29 to 34. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. Pharaoh arose in the night, he and his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go and bless me also. The Egyptians 
urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders, and they take off. So the Lord did strike, and Pharaoh says, Go, just as God had planned. Pharaoh lost his firstborn. He paid the price. And it's interesting then as we continue reading that the sons of Israel plundered. This is an interesting piece of the the picture too is that though the Israelites hadn't really done anything, they end up plundering. They end up taking everything from the Egyptians. And they leave the land. They leave Egypt the word is going to be a military word, the, Lord, the, the word hosts. It's like armies, armies set up in divisions. They leave as victors. And it's, and it's really funny because God had called Moses to be the deliverer, and Moses was like, oh, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. But finally he went. And um, then God does all this great and mighty work through Moses, through Aaron, And then when all of the people are delivered in this mighty way, they, you know, they're they're delivered in this great and mighty conquering victorious people. They're like an army and they haven't done a thing. They haven't lifted a sword. Look at verse number. Listen to what I, what we've got here. Um, Verses 35 of chapter 12 following. Verse number 35, now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had requested from the Egyptians. They they asked for this. um, We're getting sent out of the land. Can we have? They requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have their request. They thus they plundered the Egyptians. You know, there's, there's no holding the dagger to their throat and saying, give us this right now or we'll kill you. They're just like, um, hey, we're getting ready to leave. Can we have some clothes and all that nice gold you have? And, and the Egyptians are like, take it, get out of here, here, take my, you forgot something, take this, take this, take this, just go, go, go. The Egyptians, they... Their hearts probably, after the first plague, they probably wanted the sons of Israel gone. The Egyptian people, they're probably finally like, you're finally going, take it all. I don't care. I just want to live before your God destroys us all. Uh, verse number 37, we'll read to verse 41. Now it says, this, Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000, blah, blah, blah. They baked their dough, blah, blah, blah. Verse number 41, and at the end of 430 years, to the very day, this is the amount of time that they had been down in Egypt, to the very day um, that Jacob had come down, all the hosts of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. All the hosts of the Lord. You know, these, these weren't warriors. Oh, wait, yeah, they were. They were. What the scriptures, you know, we think, of, well, they were just slaves. All they knew, they, they could gather wheat, gather the straw, and, and just bake these bricks. And 
That's what they were good at. But God brings them out as a mighty army. Who was who had the power? How did they get the victory? It was all because of God. But God brings them out in this great and victorious way. And we think about that that's who God is. That's the whole point of all of this. That was the point of that song. It's the point of Jesus. God is the one who gives the victory. Even with lowly slaves that don't have a, a sword to share among the 600,000 men. God brings them out with a compelling victory. And the word of this is going to spread through the entire world. So, if that's the point, this idea of victory, the, the idea of God delivering, God being the conqueror, what's, what's the message to us? Well, first of all, we've got to ask this question, because first of all, the, son, the, the sons of Israel, before they could cry out to God for help, to cry out that, that we're in trouble, we need you, they had to realize first that they were slaves. <clears throat> John chapter 6. Excuse me, John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you will truly be disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Before you can uh, get help, you have to have know you have a problem. Do you realize you have a problem? You know, before you came to Christ, you had to realize, man, I've got a sin problem. Before I came to Christ, I was trying to fix myself. I was trying to be perfect. I wanted to have it all together. I wanted to be right and good. I'm still not even close to that when I try and do it on my own. But I finally had to say, you know, God, I can't do it. I really, 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 really need your help. So the question comes, are you a slave? Do you even realize you're a slave? Before you came to Christ, did you know that you were a slave? You can't cry out to God if you don't even know you're a slave. Realize that you're a slave, and what are you a slave to? I'm a slave to corporate America. I'm a slave to the government. I'm a slave. That seems like, all you know, that's what the battle is today. That's not the battle. That doesn't matter. Who cares? Do you realize you're a slave to sin? That's what matters. That's what matters. Are you a slave to sin? Once you figure out you're a slave to sin, once you believe Jesus that whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, you have have gone from being a slave to God to being a slave to sin. Once you realize that, then you need to cry out to God. And the neat thing is that you can't, you can't deliver yourself from sin. The deliverance of the sons of Israel really is just a picture of the great thing that Jesus has done for us to deliver us. And I do want, I'm not going to go through all these verses. You're probably panicking right now. 
John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we will look at, because we often think of John 3, 16, but you've got to have this verse 17, is this picture of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have everlasting life, eternal life. That's right. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him, that the world might be delivered through him. And this great picture of this 600,000 men plus all the women and children that came out of Egypt, that great deliverance, it's just a picture of a greater deliverance that God had planned. There's a reason why God wanted those people to come out of Egypt the way they did. To show God's deliverance, to show people being delivered out of the, that dark domain and into God's kingdom of light. It's a great and wonderful picture. Something is much greater today. I love that picture of them being delivered out of Egypt, but it's just a picture of us being able to be delivered from our sins. To be saved. The question comes, do you want to be free? Then you cry out for help. On the day of Pentecost, when it was, when it was preached, you killed Jesus. They said, what shall we do? Repent. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Call on the name of the Lord. Call for help. What should we do? What, how can we do it? You turn to God. You find deliverance in Him. God will hear you and deliver you. Peter went on on that day of Pentecost. He was calling him, be delivered from this dark generation, this, this uh, what is the word there? Not the, this unrighteous, this evil generation. Be delivered. Turn away from them. Turn to God. God will hear you. God will deliver you in a mighty way. It's up to Him. You can't do it yourself. And he will bring you to a better life. That's the promise of Jesus. He said, he said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, have it to the full. That's what God offers. He told those Israelites, you're slaves here, but I want to take you to the land flowing with milk and honey. I want to take you to the promised land. And Jesus made the same offer. And in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, he says, um, Paul writes, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. That's a great victory, isn't it? A picture of, of dying to an old, old life where we're dead in sins and then being raised up in glory to a new life. What do you want to be? You want to be a slave to sin or do you want to be raised up to glory in Christ? You want to have life abundant, life to the full, life filled with overflowing joy, the spirit, peace and love. We experienced a, a, Greater glimpse of that and what we could be even last Sunday, didn't we? Filling this place up with people, hearing a message about love. 
That's what we can become. That's who we are. That's who we're to be. That's the promise of Christ Jesus working in our lives. Believe it. God the deliverer, God the conqueror, God the victor. He's the one that provides that hope for us. Not in and of us self saying, I'm the greatest and I've got the victory. No, it's because we listen to God and we obey Him. That's, it's as simple as that. Have faith, believe in Him, walk with Him and obey. So He will give you the better life and He will make you His own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You were bought with a price. You know, and the, old, the idea of you being redeemed from your sins is because God, God had made a promise to every person on this earth. Hey, you're mine. I'm going to buy you back. I don't want you to be a slave to sin. And he did this mighty thing through Jesus Christ to save us from our sins and that Jesus actually became the lamb to die for us. That is a powerful, powerful thought. Jesus took my sins on him on that cross. He died for me. He took the punishment, the pain, the uh, disgrace, the eternity in hell. He took that in some form, fashion, some way, spiritually, on that cross for me. He did the same for you. But he's willing to pay that price to redeem you, to buy you back. Great price was paid for you. How are you going to go on living? You're going to spit at the price of the sacrifice that was made for you? Just say, bah, it's not that important. He said he did it, and I believe it, and I'm just going to kind of, I, I obeyed him when I got dunked, and now I'm going to go on living, just kind of keeping up with life. That's the best I can do is keep up with the Joneses, keep up with all the craziness of this world. It's, it's hard. But we got to live fully devoted for the one, fully devoted to the one who died for us. He gave all, everything for us. That's how he delivered us in this mighty way. Let us go forth as victors. Romans chapter 8, 28 through 39, it's there. It's what we read a couple of weeks ago with Moses. Moses, I can't do this. And God said, no, go. And and God used him. God made him this mighty, victorious man because of what God was doing. Moses just had to say, okay, I'll do it. And God provided this victory. And we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. We have the victory in Christ Jesus. Let us go forth believing that. As we look back at this nation we just that was delivered out of Egypt, out of bondage, we have this picture of God who can save us in this mighty way. Just as all the gods were conquered by God, all those Egyptian gods were conquered by God, we have the victory in our lives. Any sin that besets us, we can have the victory Through Jesus Christ. Anything that gets in our way. Any fears that try to overcome us. We have to say no to those things. And just claim the victory in Christ Jesus. Just say God I'm willing. I know you're you're asking me to do something. That makes me afraid. But I'm done being afraid. And I'm going to do it. That's the victory that God provides for us. He's the man. And he's our father. And he'll do anything for us. 
Trust him. Believe in him. Live for him. And realize that you can't do anything without him. But once you give your life to him, there's not anything that you and God together can't do. Go forth as a victor. Be free from sin, being a slave to sin, and live with, as a victor in Christ Jesus. Do what he calls you to do. If there's anybody here today, you haven't given your life to Jesus. This is, this is the power of him, just as he delivered that great and mighty nation in a great and mighty way. He can deliver you. Give your life to him. Follow after him. Be baptized into him and live for him forever. If anybody needs to respond to the call today, won't you please come as we stand together and sing. Softly and tender.